Had Hunter Biden made money from China? New finding revealing $260,000 directly lead to President Biden's front door, wiring from Beijing. The world's most indebted developer taking another hit. Evergrande's chairman is under police watch as investors rally support to dissolve the company. Two nuclear powers, increasingly unsettled by China's threat. The U.S. and India holding high-level defense talks this week. What's the shared goal? And is China singling out Elon Musk's Tesla? Why can't I go, but they can? Exit the ramp because you're driving a Tesla. There are no regulations for this. Just exit the ramp. Just follow my orders. Videos and photos show traffic authorities banning Tesla cars from certain highways. Welcome to China In Focus. I'm Don Ma in for Tiffany today. $260,000 from Beijing going to an address listed as Joe Biden's home. An investigation into the bank records of the president's son sharing new information. What's the latest on the findings? NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has the story. The House Oversight Committee quietly subpoenaed a bank for Hunter Biden's records on Monday and discovered two wire transfers from Chinese nationals to the younger Biden in 2019. The panel revealed Tuesday the transfers listed President Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home as the beneficiary address during his 2020 campaign. The wire transfers worth a combined total of $260,000 were made in July and August 2019 from Hunter Biden's business partners in Beijing. A $250,000 transfer came from Jonathan Lee, CEO of Beijing-backed investment fund BHR. House Oversight Chair James Comer says the two transfers are the first examples the panel has found of the first son receiving money directly and not through a shell company. Comer said in a statement that then-Vice President Biden spoke on the phone and had coffee with Lee in Beijing and wrote a college letter of recommendation for his children, citing testimony from Devin Archer, a former business associate of the president's son. Comer says it was an abuse of public office for financial gain and a threat to national security, and that the three-committee panel investigating President Biden and the first son will continue to follow the evidence and money to provide transparency and accountability. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy commented on the revelation, saying bank records don't lie. Vice President Joe Biden took his son to China, where he met this individual that they were doing business with. He even wrote letters of recommendation, Joe Biden did, for the children. So all this talk of what Joe Biden has said has not been true to the American public. President Biden has repeatedly denied that he discussed business matters with his son and declined to comment on the investigation. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And there's more. New info about Hunter Biden's dealings came out on Wednesday. House members released hundreds of documents tied to the investigation. NTD's Melina Weiskup has more. IRS whistleblowers who previously testified on Hunter Biden's tax evasion gave documents to the House Ways and Means Committee. That committee reviewed those documents today in an executive closed-door session, after which they did vote to release partially redacted versions of those documents to the public. These documents, of course, pertain back to Hunter Biden's foreign cash flow and how or if that relates back to President Biden. And Congressman Tim Burchett did tell me that there is another piece of evidence recently released by the Oversight Committee that caught his eye. I think um, this latest, though, with the, the wire transfer from China going to Joe Biden's home address and with him listed as the recipient in the, um, 
in the text. I think that's pretty damning. There's no other way around it. And those wires did happen at the time that Biden was running for the office of the president. All of this comes just one day before the House Oversight Committee is set to hold that first hearing on the impeachment inquiry into the president. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The world's most indebted property developer is inching further onto the rocks. China Evergrande chairman Hui Kaiyan has been placed under police surveillance. Bloomberg reported the development Wednesday, citing sources as saying he was taken away by police earlier this month and is being monitored at a designated location. They add that the situation isn't the same as a formal detention and doesn't mean he will be charged with a crime. The report comes after the company saw its stock price slide for two days in a row. And it's making investors skittish. According to Reuters, sources report that a major group of Evergrande's creditors are looking to liquidate the company, saying they'll join a court petition to dissolve it if the company doesn't submit a new plan to revamp its debt by next month. The original plan came out in March, but was thrown into question after Evergrande said last Sunday it couldn't issue new debt. As for why, its main China unit is currently under investigation by regulators. So what does the giant's apparent fall from success mean for China's troubled economy? I think the uncertainty is still quite high. So even though if home sales start improving, of which the process is still quite uh, minimal at the moment, there is also a legal problem that the firms need to um, uh, basically fight for. Before the current crisis, the Chinese real estate market made up roughly a quarter of the country's economy. But many of the sector's top countries ground to a halt under Beijing's draconian pandemic rules. With Evergrande leading the fall, the company's total debt stood at just under $330 billion as of June. Still a strong indicator for the Chinese market. It does uh, pose the threat to the sentiment in terms of whether people uh, still think that the Chinese uh, market uh, still carries significant policy risk that they want to avoid. So I think this is really why we see there's a more bearish sentiment. Experts suggest investor confidence may remain uncertain as a result. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. Is Tesla hitting a speed bump in China? Multiple videos and photos posted online seem to suggest that China has banned the car from certain sections of highway. Let's take a closer look. Are Chinese authorities blocking out Tesla? An internet user recently shared a video online. In it, Chinese traffic police banned a Tesla owner from charging his car at a charging station. I bought my car legally. I paid tax on it and paid the money. This charging station is for all citizens. Why can't I charge my car here? China is the world's largest market for electric vehicles or EV. Over 20 percent of Tesla's revenue comes from China. In another clip, a standoff between a Tesla owner and traffic police. Why can't I go, but they can? Exit the ramp because you're driving a Tesla. There are no regulations for this. Just exit the ramp. Just follow my orders. In another photo, an electric board on a Chinese highway in Shanxi reads, some cars, including Teslas, are banned from using this entrance. In another video clip, Chinese traffic police directed a Tesla car off an exit ramp. Minutes later, another Tesla was asked to leave the main highway as well. 
A Taiwanese economics expert says Beijing could be concerned that Tesla models built in cameras could collect sensitive information. Thereby piecing together things that China does not want outsiders to know. So now Teslas are not welcomed in sensitive areas. We reached out to Tesla for comments but did not hear back before airtime. And now we have a few quick updates for you. Senator Marco Rubio wants the White House to further expel Beijing-influenced operations from American soil. The stance comes after Ford paused its project with the Chinese EV battery maker in Michigan. Rubio told the Epoch Times that Chinese EV battery companies shouldn't be allowed to operate in the U.S. or benefit from American taxpayer subsidies. Worth noting, though, Michigan State has approved over $600 million in incentives for the China-linked plants. Next, U.S. Army Private Travis King is back in U.S. custody after months in detention in North Korea. U.S. officials confirmed the news Wednesday, following Pyongyang's announcement of plans to expel him. King was captured after allegedly running away from a tour group into the peninsula's demilitarized zone. The area separates the north and south. Little information is available about King's release. North Korean state media claimed he confessed to crossing into North Korea due to maltreatment and discrimination in the U.S. Army. His mother disputes the allegations. And heading over to Japan, the country is set to scrutinize Russia's potential seafood ban. Moscow announced on Tuesday it would consider joining Beijing in banning Japanese seafood imports citing the release of Fukushima wastewater into the ocean. Japan argues that the water is safe after being treated and diluted. Russia's food safety watchdog has asked Japan for information on radiation testing of fish products. Japan contends that criticism from China and Russia lacks scientific basis. Two nuclear powers speeding up their efforts to counter China. The U.S. and India holding critical talks on the subject, both in Washington, D.C. and New Delhi. Army chiefs from 30 countries attended the New Delhi conference. I believe that together we will maintain a free and open Indo-Pacific that enables the independence, strength and prosperity of every nation. General George said the Indo-Pacific region is a critical priority for the U.S. This region supports more than 3 billion American jobs, plus two-way trade between the U.S. and the region stands at over $2 trillion. Six countries there also have nuclear weapons, but it's facing threats from an ever more aggressive Beijing. Multiple countries there report issues with China. India deals with border clashes while Southeast Asian countries faced territorial disputes. Back to Washington, high-level defense officials from both India and the U.S. are having dialogue in Washington. The talks aim to drive defense cooperation forward. They've also touched on expanding cooperation in the space and cyber domain. While all of this is going on, U.S. and Indian soldiers are doing drills in Alaska to up their combat skills. India is critical for Washington's efforts to rein in the Chinese Communist regime. This June, President Biden signed massive deals with India, even sharing sensitive technologies with the country. And more news from India, a border dispute between New Delhi and Beijing, now leaving three Indian Asian Games athletes stranded at home. We're all sad. The reason? 
visa issues. That's because the absent trio comes from India's eastern state, which Beijing claims as part of Tibet. China is hosting this year's games. And unlike the rest of India's athletes, these three were given stapled China visas instead of stamped ones. India's foreign ministry says the country does not accept stapled visas as valid. Issuing stapled visas has been seen as a way for China to question India's sovereignty over the disputed region. We did not approve the discrimination that was meted out to us by China. We won't bow down now. And upon learning the news, India's sports minister on Friday canceled his planned trip to China in protest. At the same time, China-India border tensions appear to be opening doors for Taiwan. The island is now replacing China as India's Mandarin language teacher. That's according to the Taiwanese TV station Taiwan Plus. Due to Beijing's sovereignty claim, Taiwan has been using soft power strategies to build ties with the international community. Mandarin language education in India has suffered amid border tensions with China. Relations between them soured in 2020 over a deadly border clash. 20 Indian and an undisclosed number of Chinese soldiers were killed in the conflict. A flashpoint for diplomatic flare-ups. The Scarborough Shoal in the South China Sea is one of Asia's most contended maritime features. But what drives the conflict there? Let's look into what you need to know about the hotly disputed area. Things are heating up between the Philippines and China in the South China Sea. At the center of tensions is the Scarborough Shoal, a ring-shaped island coveted for its bountiful fish stocks and stunning lagoon. It's located in the middle of the South China Sea, close to shipping lanes carrying an estimated $3.4 trillion of annual commerce. Here's a look at the conflict and what's at stake. The shoal is about 125 miles off the Philippines and inside its exclusive economic zone. Both the Philippines and China lay claim to it, but no sovereignty has ever been established. It's been effectively under Beijing's control since China seized it in 2012. A landmark 2016 ruling by the Permanent Court of Arbitration largely went in favor of the Philippines, but it wasn't tasked with establishing sovereignty. Over the weekend, the Philippines discovered a 1,000-foot-long barrier policed by China's Coast Guard near the shoal. It led to outrage. And on Monday, it cut the barrier down in a special operation approved by the president. China's foreign ministry advised the Philippines against provocations. Fishermen in the Philippines were left wondering why it was there in the first place. The Scarborough Shoal is closer to the Philippines just around 100, 150 miles. Well, it is around 500 miles from China. Why are they stopping us from entering? The positioning of the shoal is strategic for Beijing, and there have been concerns China might build a man-made island there. During the pro-China former Duterte administration, it allowed Filipino fishing boats to operate near the shoal. But relations have deteriorated under President Ferdinand Marcos Jr. There have been minor altercations between the two elsewhere in the South China Sea this year. While Marcos may score points for standing up to Beijing, his Coast Guard is no match for China's. One deterrent, though, could be the United States. Earlier in the year, the U.S. gave the Philippines guidelines stating mutual defense commitments would be invoked over an attack anywhere in the South China Sea. 
Coming up, empty homes are piling up in China, casting a shadow on the country's real estate crisis. China's housing sector was once considered the driving force of the nation's economic growth. But the sudden downfall of debt-laden housing giant China Evergrande Group is putting that statement to the test. As investors and buyers retreat from the sector, several other big-name developers seem on the road to default. What lies ahead for China's economy? We find out with China economic analyst Antonio Grosefo. More on that here on China in Focus after the break. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Don Ma. Excessive supply but low demand. A growing number of empty homes are littered across China. According to a former official, even the nation's entire population wouldn't be enough to fill the blocks. This crisis follows China's Evergrande Group's fall from success. The real estate giant prospered on the back of borrowed money for decades. What's next for China's housing sector and its economy? To discuss, we spoke to China analyst Antonio Grosefo. And now here to talk to me about China's property sector is Antonio Grosefo, a China analyst. Now, a former official from China's National Bureau of uh, Statistics says that uh, even China's 1.4 billion population can't fill all the vacant homes in the country. I mean, is this a potential sign that there are uh, way too much speculation in the sector? Uh, or, or is this further indication that China's property sector is under tremendous pressure? China has between 50 and 75 million unoccupied, unsold apartments. And that is not counting the apartments that are not completed. In other words, construction stopped halfway through. Maybe when you total everything, you know, it's, it's a much, much larger number. So you've got this weird situation that you've got these apartments that nobody can afford to buy because the price is too high. So in a market economy, the price should drop until those young people can afford those apartments and the market would clear out. Does China, in fact, have a surplus of apartments or does it not? China is a centrally planned economy. So when you have a centrally planned economy, you wind up with surpluses and shortages at the same time. So what, what you have, because you have an artificial market, uh, you have empty apartments. So you could say there's a surplus. However, there's a lot of people who need and want apartments who have very large sums of money, but not enough to buy that apartment. So there's, there's a shortage of homes for those people. And this is adding to this aging crisis in China because a lot of young people are delaying marriage because they can't get an apartment. So we're already seeing uh, companies like China's Evergrande missing bond payments. I'm wondering, is there any way to save the property uh, industry? Has the ship sailed there? It, it's very, very, very difficult to save. So in, as I said, in a market economy, we would drop the, the prices would drop. Each owner would drop the price, right? It wouldn't be a central government decision. Prices would just drop until the market cleared out. The problem in China is that you have trillions of dollars of debt, trillions of dollars of, of loans at banks that are being secured by this property. So remember that the value of the property has to equal the value of the debt or else the debt comes due. So if the price, let's say the proper price, the market clearing price for apartments is 20 or 30% less than the current price, that means the value of those apartments is 20 to 30% less, which means they can no longer cover the loans and those loans will come due. 
And could you imagine if all the real estate loans or, or a significant percentage of them came due and the companies can't pay them, what's going to happen to the banking se uh, sector? What's going to happen to the real estate sector? If, let's say, the property sector uh, collapses, uh, let's say, um, what would be the impact on the Chinese economy? It would be a huge ripple through the economy. Most people think about the jobs that are associated with real estate, construction, trucking, uh, selling services and labor to the construction industry and real estate industry. That's true. But if, if they all defaulted or if a significant percentage of the developers defaulted, we could wind up with maybe 20% non-performing loans at banks. And this could be enough to bring down the financial sector or to cause the banks to go into distress. Well, all right. Thank you so much for your insight today, Antonio Graceffo. Thank you, Don Ma. And that's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Don Ma. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for watching.